Hey friends, I'm Bryant Russ, and in partnership with Christian Schools International, you're listening to Lighting a Fire. What we sought for in our family was to be able to ask wise questions about what technology was doing to us and make wise decisions about what role our devices would play in our lives. So it's really, it's really about discernment. As a dad to four little girls, one of the highlights of my day is coming home from work to be enthusiastically greeted by my kids, which usually evolves into pretending to be ponies or breaks out into plate wrestling. So I was a little confused a few days ago when it was totally silent when I walked in the door. I said my daughter's names, but nobody answered. I walked into the living room to discover three of my four daughters sitting in front of an iPad. I kid you not, I had to walk over and actually pry the iPad out of their hands for them to realize I was home. This got me thinking once again about technology and its impact on human relationships. What exactly is happening here, not just in families, but in schools too? If this is something you've wondered about, you're going to love today's conversation with Amy Crouch, author of My Tech Wise Life, Growing Up and Making Choices in a World of Devices. I really appreciate how Amy frames this conversation. For her, it's not that tech is bad, but that life is really good and tech often gets in the way. I think you're going to glean a lot from Amy's research and wisdom. So enjoy the show. Amy Crouch, thank you so much for joining us. Amy is the author of My Tech Wise Life, Growing Up and Making Choices in a World of Devices. Amy, thanks so much for joining us on the show. So glad to be here. Thank you, Bryant. Okay, here's the question. This is maybe the question I most want to ask. (laughs) How do you think, let's say 100, 200 years from now, how do you think historians are going to view this window of time we're living in with the rise of the internet, social media. How do you think with the with the advantage of hindsight, what do what do people think or say about the impact of technology on what it means to be a human being? Oh my goodness. Well, wow, I did not realize that I was going to have right, to try to predict jumping. the future. But but oh, yeah. I, I love it. Um, That is such a good question. Um, And it makes me think of all sorts of different things. It's interesting. I actually, right now I'm taking a history of writing class. Um, I'm a student at Cornell University, a junior. And this history of writing class is following the history of the development of new writing systems, the the kind of cultural context they were operating in. Mm. And it's really, it's been really interesting because writing is a technology. It's kind of easy to forget that kind of thing, I think, when we live in such a literate or literacy saturated world, but it's it's a technology. And so I have this wonderful class where I'm learning about the introduction of a brand new revolutionary technology that Mm. um, completely transformed all of the different cultures that it entered. And so I think we can glean some lessons about what our devices right now will be doing from the past. And hmm, I think maybe here's the way I would approach this question. 
I would say very rarely in history has this kind of huge technological revolution just completely petered out, but it often looks very different than it did at the very the very dawn of, it, of its sort of inception. Mm-hmm. So thinking about a technology like writing or the printing press, in the first 10 to 20 years of, of their existence in a culture, even take the printing press, it was nothing like what it is now living in, again, this literacy saturated society that depends on so much on printed written word. So I tend to think that a couple hundred years from now, first of all, I think it is pretty likely that our lives will be very much mediated by devices in a kind of similar way to how we are currently kind of um, mediated by, by writing, by electricity, all of these other things. However, I think there's, there's hope that it doesn't necessarily have to look the way it does now. Hmm. I think in this current moment, we're seeing a lot of people really struggling with uh, the ways that technology isn't helping us, the way that, it, mm-hmm. that it's hurting us. And whether that's distraction, disconnection, just uh, sort of being kind of pulled into a whole set of habits that you don't actually want. And I think it is just possible that maybe historians will look back on this time and say, that was when we kind of figured out all of our concerns and took <laughs> yes, action yeah. against them. That's my like positive take. Um, there's <laughs> and the other more... is a dystopian sci-fi movie, maybe. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I think it is totally possible that um, <laughs> we will just have kind of forgotten what we've lost, not even know quite yeah. what, what we're missing out on. But I do choose to be hopeful and say that maybe they'll look back on this time and say, this was the inflection point where we could have gone down a really unhealthy direction. And instead we saw what technology was doing to us and went in a a better direction. Mm. And I mean, realistically, it'll be a mixture of those two things, right? There's rarely, you rarely look back at one point in history and say everything was perfect from there. But I do have some hope that this moment will be a time where uh, we really face the real threats that technology has made to our well-being and hopefully sort of aim for a, a healthier direction. There does, there's, yeah, definitely seems to be a growing awareness that, we're not healthy. We're not happy. I'm in the world of education and there's certainly a growing awareness that like, yeah, something's wrong. I spoke with Brooke Hempel from Barna Group mm, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago and she she framed it by saying, we've basically been doing this giant experiment on our children, on Gen Z, uh, by giving them a yeah. devices and not really knowing what's going to happen. And we're just starting to get some of the data to find out, oh, here's what's happening <laughs> in the brain mm-hmm. or even like the soul of a young person who grows up staring at a screen all the time. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a moment of like, hey, we need to make some decisions about how to be wise. Yeah. So can you elaborate a little bit on what do you see, Amy, 
your book does such a wonderful job of chronicling some of the, the potential dangers or damaging features of technology, specifically social media. Would you be able to just mm. summarize what you see as some of the, the real harmful features? Yeah. And can you just rant, just rant so I don't next time <laughs> with my kids, I can just play this recording and, and then you get to be the bad guy. How about? Oh, that sounds terrible. I don't, yeah, I don't want to be remembered as the scold. <laughs> um, but I mean, the good thing, I guess, is it's not just me. Because in this book, My TechWise Life, we surveyed teenagers all across the country, um, I think ages 13 to 21, so uh, including some, some non-teenagers. And we asked how technology is affecting their lives. And a lot of teenagers are not very happy with it. Hmm. So it's not just me who could rant about technology. Um, <laughs> in particular, I think what's interesting is we asked a series of questions, first asking, what are the ways that technology has made your life better? And then we ask kind of conversely, what about the ways in which it's made your life more difficult? And all the top responses, it was kind of open-ended, and the top set of responses for how technology makes our lives more difficult were all about distraction and disconnection. Hmm. So uh, the answers which most teenagers chose had to do with, for instance, feeling like my attention span is shorter. One was, I feel like I can't have as good of conversations. I have a harder time getting work done. I feel disconnected from other people. Hmm. And so to me, I see the core complaint from people my age as being tech gets in the way. Hmm. It's very compelling. It kind of sucks us in to uh, this, this world of constant dopamine rushes. And that distracts us from the things that we actually want to do whether that's connecting with someone else or simply like getting homework done, technology gets in the way of what we, we really feel matters to us. Yes. Amen. And the irony is that even, so I'm a high school teacher, Amy, and, and mm -hmm. I have those conversations with my students and they're very aware yeah. of what you just described, that technology gets in the way of what actually makes a person whole and healthy. And, and yet, uh, they're on their, we're all on our phones all the time still. You know, there's been a number of studies I've read about taking a social media fast and then reporting levels of happiness, satisfaction, a whole bunch of things. And it seems mm -hmm. to be almost to the point of saying, yeah, we can almost say as a fact that you would be happier without these things. And yet, <laughs> and yet I haven't given them up. I haven't. Yeah. What is that? I mean, is that an addiction at that point or what do you see? Mm. Yeah, a, a lot of people will use the language of addiction. I, I think that can be helpful in some limited contexts, but I think that the sort of addiction or compulsion language misses the fact that our lives have changed to the point where our devices are part of everyone's lives. I think an addiction can feel like something individual, like, oh, this is just my personal problem. But I think what we're facing is not only individual, you know, oh, I have to look at my phone, compulsion to pick up a device, but also cultural, societal expectations yeah, that sure. we have to be always on, that life must always include a smartphone in your back pocket. And so I think there's kind of a broader problem, which is that right now, most of us cannot imagine a life without our phones. And hmm. so 
I almost see my my task as bringing in some imagination, hmm. inviting people to see maybe life could look a little different. So in a school context, Amy, we're seeing a lot more just at least reported anxiety from young people mm-hmm. and the observation that that seems to be connected with the kinds of technologies that are being used now for young people. What is it in all your research and in the conversations, do you feel like you've got a good sense of the relationship or the correlation between technology, at least these new technologies, and, and the result of anxiety? Yeah, this is a really good question and also a really sad one. I remember when I got the data in for the book and I read through it for the first time and I was just so saddened because our data, like a lot of other data, showed a really strong correlation between technology use and feelings of anxiety, um, depression, sort of Mm. self-hatred. I think it's important to view that as a correlation and and in the kind of, you know, statistical rule, not a causative relationship Mm -hmm. solely. But what we see is kids who use technology more are more anxious and more depressed. And also kids who are more anxious and more depressed use technology more. Hmm. And I tend to kind of view this as, Tech is not necessarily the source of the problem, but it exacerbates a lot of the problems already. Mm, oh, that's helpful. Mm, something that I think a lot of high school students would relate to, for instance, would be like academic pressure, you know, the pressure to get good grades, to do well in school. Um, this was maybe especially pronounced in my high school, but, you know, I think it's true for a lot of kids. The source of that problem has been there for a while, right? There's always been pressure on kids to do well, especially if your parents really, really feel that you need to, to get good grades to go to college. But think about a teenager right now. You literally never, unless you choose to, never have a break from access to school, to homework. I I mean, you could literally 24-7 be typing on a Google Doc Mm. that your teacher can can see you as you're writing in it and check (laughs) up on you. Yes. Um, You're great. Like, oh my goodness. There's just this omnipresent barrage of, of, of that pressure. Yeah, there's no boundaries, are there? Mm-hmm. There's not there's not this space where I act this way and think about these things. They've all become blended. Yes. And you text your friends to catch up and hang out, but you also text your friends to work on homework together and to commiserate together. You open up social media and maybe there's really good connection there, but you also see lots of people complaining about whatever their grades, their their ideals. And also you see other people who are doing so much better than you. And you're like, oh my goodness, how <laughs> yeah. is this possible? Ugh. And so I think that these... Mm, sources of anxiety really just get kind of kind of snowball into something much worse mm. with the constant kind of always on nature of the devices that we use. Hmm. Yeah, that's a wonderful explanation. I think you're right. Some of the worst things around us and even in us, like the the tendency to compare ourselves, the cycles of shame, all those things are really amplified. Mm-hmm. with technology, maybe specifically social media, for sure. And I love how you've organized the chapters in your book. They're all, mm. or at least the, the majority of them are, we don't have to 
film. Yes. Like, right? We don't have to edit our lives. We don't have to avoid boredom. We don't have to be exhausted. You're, you're saying, hey, there's an alternative, right? There's something better out there. How exactly. did you discover this? I mean, is this, is this just ingrained in you growing up? Or tell us a little bit of the backstory. I think family is is the yeah the driving force between hmm. my my relationship with technology now and you know the impetus for this book actually was that my dad wrote a book um a couple years ago from the kind of parent perspective about the choices that our family had made and so mm-hmm. my mom and dad were just thinking really deeply about how they could uh, instill in my brother, my brother Timothy and me, healthy and kind of joyful habits around technology rather than mm. resting on the the default. I've thought a lot about why it stuck with me. Because so the kinds of choices we made were unusual, but not unheard of. So we didn't have a TV until I think it was like 10 or 12. Um, We didn't have any video games in the house. My brother and I didn't get smartphones until high school. Um, We regularly unplugged, you know, choices like that. And there are other families who did things like that. And I've gotten the opportunity because of this, this work to talk with a bunch of fellow like young people about their relationship with technology. And the thing is, there are young people whose families had, you know, a fair amount of rules and limits around technology. But then once once the kid, you know, went off to college, none of them stuck. Hmm. Whereas for me, I, I'm a college student now. I think I mentioned that. Um, and I still have all of these disciplines. I take every Sunday away from, from work and also from screens. Um, I sleep with my phone outside my bedroom. I don't watch TV alone. All of these, all of these limits. Um, and I think the reason is my family gave me a why. Oh, I, I love that. Always... I love that. My family gave me a why. That's, that's really important. Yeah. I, it was like a light bulb moment when I realized this because we, we didn't just have rules that, you know, mom and dad told my brother and me like, this is what you do and no, no complaining, no asking questions. I felt like my brother and I were invited into these practices, these disciplines that my family had chosen. We got to ask like, why are we doing this? Why do we take whatever Sunday away from screens? Why don't we have phones at the dinner table? We were part of those decisions. I remember when I wanted to get a smartphone, I like had a really long set of conversations with my parents. We figured out something that made sense for both of us. And we like, uh, I felt like I understood why it was they were concerned. And so I think what was really special growing up was not only that my family modeled these wonderful practices, but that I always felt like I knew why. And I was almost empowered to take that motivation and bring it into my own personal life. Yes. Oh, man. What I hear you saying, Amy, is that it's not just tech is bad. It's that life is good and tech gets in the way. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's and that's beautiful because being in a Christian school context, I think sometimes and it's true for families as well, but you can you can have a clear vision of the what and even the how, but mm-hmm. without the why it falls apart, right? And I, I you know, I so admire that about Jesus too in his ministry 
is he's so good at addressing the tree and not just the fruit. Mm. It's so easy to to say, hey, this fruit's rotten, like grow better fruit or however we might address the behaviors. But but what I hear you saying is your family gave you the reason why, and this is the fruit that's the result. Yeah, I think so. And I'm really grateful for it. Would you elaborate a little bit on the title of your book, the, the term TechWise? What exactly does that mean? <laughs> and, and what's your vision? What are maybe some of the foundational principles of living a TechWise life? Ooh, yes. So I did not come up with the term TechWise. That was my dad. And I think I think my mom was involved with coming up with it, too. So yeah, the book is called My Tech Wise Life. This is a great question. What is a tech wise life? And maybe it's helpful to start by saying what it's not. A tech wise life or living tech wise is not necessarily no tech. So for me, I mean, I I am like sitting in front of my computer with a big microphone in front of me while I'm talking to you. I have a phone, a smartphone, you know, like I do not live no tech and my family never did either. Some people might, but that was not what tech wise looked like for us. Hmm. Instead, I think the really important part is that element wise. I think what we sought for in our family was to be able to ask wise questions about what technology was doing to us and make wise decisions about what role our devices would play in our lives. So it's really um, it's really about discernment, about being hmm. willing to examine what um, your relationship with technology and to put into practice things which will improve that relationship. Hmm. I think maybe the kind of principle that is kind of guides that wisdom, that choice for me is God created a good world and I want to be fully present within it. And so, and God also created good people. We are literally made in the image of God and I want to be present with them. And so my guiding question with technology is, how is this affecting my relationship with God's good creation? And how is it affecting my relationships with God's good people? Oh, I love that. I love that. I mean, that's the, as we discern technology use, that is the guiding question for you. I love that. And you're so right about, <laughs> I think of even the Shema Deuteronomy 6, where mm-hmm. God says, I am one, you know, that I think Oftentimes people see that as a, as a claim to like monotheism, which that's, a, I think, legitimate. But also just like, I'm one, I'm whole in my attention toward you, Israel. And mm. what I'm asking in return is that you love me with all your heart, all your soul, you know, be one oh, back. And technology is such a convenient way to be more than one. Technology, I'm able to be with you. I'm able to be over here. I'm able to be texting my brother. I have a, I remember I've got uh, four daughters and that's so, so often the case, right? I'm with Reagan, but I'm also texting my friend, but I'm also on the this document that I'm editing, but I'm also, <laughs> and it's like, I am maybe one sixth with Reagan <laughs> right now. Yeah. And, and perhaps even in scriptures, God is saying, no, 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 just one <laughs> it's presence. Oh, I love that. That is that is so thought provoking. You know, and it makes me think of this command, 
uh, to love the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and mm, strength. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've been pondering lately, especially in this time of, of COVID, where we're very disembodied. Like, what does it mean that so much yeah. of my time is spent literally staring at a what like 10 by 13 inch rectangle (laughs) you know my i guess like think about my five senses even like i guess sight and sound but i'm not really experiencing the world physically i'm i'm not processing even through smell and so i don't know if we need to check off each of the five senses or check off heart soul mind and strength in a legalistic way but I do think that if we spend most of our time just loving God in with one very narrow aspect of our being, we are missing out on so much. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So the discernment, uh, becoming tech wise, uh, a lot of that involves conversations and being thoughtful. Are there any, Amy, do you have any like core principles Mm -hmm. that are pretty foundational that we all should, should be able to agree on? is helpful and healthy Mm. for being tech wise. Yeah. So I think practically speaking, there are a few core disciplines, which pretty much everyone can benefit from in, in, in many different contexts. So the first would be taking regular time away from devices. For me, a really good rhythm for this is my phone goes to bed before I do. And it wakes up after I do. Mm. And every week I take a whole day of rest away from screens. Um, So I sleep with my phone outside of my bedroom and I don't have it disturbing me as I sleep. And it's not the first thing I look at when I wake up. And then every Sunday I actually set the day as a Sabbath from work, you know, from, from my school work and my job and also from most use of technology. So that's one is setting very concrete times without devices. Hmm. And then the second would be uh, focusing on presence with other people, wholehearted presence with other people. Um, When you're having a meal with somebody or spending time with them really in any way, setting devices aside completely. It honestly, Mm -hmm. it can feel so discouraging to be spending time with someone and have them pull out their phone, even though it's not intentional. Like it just makes me feel less valued. And so I would say absolutely a core rule is when with other people set devices aside. And then it's amazing, Amy, mm -hmm. how challenging even that is because, oh man, I'd say amen. And and yet, even with my own children, I find myself just reaching yes. for devices. We we recently bought this little box. That's the phone box that, that oh, that's like, you great. have to put your phone in because it's so easy to have that as, as like an idea and then just reach for it right when it bings or buzzes. <laughs> so we're like, put it in the phone coffin over there because we don't want yeah. it to be part of getting in the way. That is such an important practice. Oh my goodness. And it is so hard. I like, I, and I have not done this perfectly. There are so many times in which I've noticed, you know, while, well, whatever, spending time with somebody else. Oh my goodness. I have managed to spend the past five minutes on my phone. And I think it is exactly right that sometimes we need to have the principle of out of sight, out of mind whether it's, you know, stuffing your phone in a phone coffin or in a backpack, it is really valuable to just 
not have to even even he- like hear your phone buzzing. Yeah, yeah, totally. So regular time away from devices, presence with other people. Mm-hmm. Do you have any others? Yeah, I think my final tip would be governing when we do use our devices because I mean we're I'm not advocating for you to give up every screen and I think there are ways in which we can use our devices really well and so what I would say is what if you could when you're using technology can you move towards creating rather than consuming and connecting rather than distracting Hmm. So think about, I mean, in every moment where you're using technology, think about, am I sort of sitting back passively or am I using this device to create something, to learn something more about somebody else, to connect? And I think that just asking those kinds of questions, even praying before we use, we use technology can really help our use of devices to be fruitful rather than just killing time. Mm-hmm. Amy, I'm so grateful. This can't come at a more important time. We're thinking about this all the time. And I think a lot of people are wondering, okay, we're starting to get a sense of how this is impacting, but what now? <laughs> and, yes. and so your book and your continued thoughts on the subject is of such great value. And I'm grateful. Listeners, my tech wise life growing up and making choices in the world of devices, you've got to check it out. I continue. I've just, Amy, just filled the margins of this book (laughs) with some (laughs) of the questions I just got to ask you, but also all kinds of applications and thoughts that were inspired from your work. So thankful to be able to have this conversation with you today. Thank you. This was so fun. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you subscribe to the Lighting a Fire podcast so you don't miss an episode. As always, feel free to email me with questions or ideas at bruss, B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. In partnership with Christian Schools International, this is Lighting a Fire.